Good morning. Today is the first Sunday in Advent, the season of Christmas. So delighted you're here with us. You're watching home. We hope that you'll be with us in person next time. Today is also Celebration Sunday. And I have the joy of announcing pledges from Commitment Sunday last week. Beloved, we have much to celebrate today. Less than a month after the We Are Family Impact Initiative plan went public, last Sunday, 80 pledges were received for a three-year pledge totaling $1,500,000. 30 families and individuals wrote down still praying about their pledge, and another 15 contacted us to say, we weren't able to be here last Sunday. We plan to also give as the Lord has enabled us. Our goal is $3.2 million. So we're almost halfway there. But put it in perspective, Gen to Gen, our last campaign, was a five-year campaign. And in the total of five years, we raised $1.2 million. And so we're on our way. I'm very, very thankful for uh, the generous uh, donations, pledges, prayers, those even who've said, I'm not there yet, I'm praying about it. I see our faith raising as well. We also saw last week the highest Sunday attendance in two years. So there's a lot of work ahead, a lot of prayer and discernment and careful planning. Our elders, our leadership will be carefully uh, looking into uh, what does this mean? Where is the Lord leading us next? And in the days and weeks to come, as we have more pledges, we have more insight, more clarity. Uh, we plan to have another congregational meeting in early January to give the whole congregation uh, an update of where we are. Now on today's sermon. They're, 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 you can't hear at home, but they're just they're so excited. They're speechless. Our text today is uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. And my title of the sermon is, How Much? How Much? Now, Pastor Pete, you said last week you were done with, with financial stewardship messages. What, what gives? Well, I promise you, this is not a financial stewardship sermon. This is a discipleship sermon. Our text today, Jesus will say to his people how much it costs to follow him. I can tell you this much, it costs a lot more than dollars and cents. In fact, fair warning, as we get into today's passage, this is a very heavy, hard, intense word from our Lord. I've never heard a sermon preached on this passage, let alone being at Christmas time, but I believe it's a message of hope and message of expectation of what God will do in your life and life of our church. And so indeed, I, I pray that you receive this as a word of challenge, but also a word of courage. But it is interesting, isn't it? Right on the heels of a sermon series titled, the series was what? A Place for Everyone, right? A Place for Everyone. We're going to read a passage in which Jesus says, not once, not twice, but three times, you cannot be my disciple. A place for everyone, except for three different ways that you can't be my disciple. How much it's going to cost. Jesus is going to say, simply put, you cannot be my disciple unless you do three things. If you're taking notes, you could just write this down and then 
be done with the morning. Number one, real simple, hate your family. Carry your cross and give up everything you own. I I warned you, this is going to be intense. This is heavy stuff. This is hard. But ultimately, I believe there's hope and there's life and there's freedom in his word. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15 or 14, excuse me, 14. And it'll be on the screen as well. Verses 25 through 35. Listen now to God's word. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear the word of the Lord. So, Father, it's hard to hear this word, let alone to give thanks for it, but I believe that you do have a message for your people. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and moving within us, Lord, to see how you would have us respond. Because most everyone I know here, many of us are in different places in our walk with you, but we do want to take that next step in our journey of faith. So help us, Lord, and help me. Speak through me, Lord. I pray these words would be uh, useful to your purposes in Christ. Amen. Three times, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person can't be my disciple. Unless you carry your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Verse 27, verse 33, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. What's going on here? You can't be a Christian unless you hate, suffer, and lose. And that's supposed to be a message that that gives us uh, good news and great joy at Christmas time. Are you kidding me? What in the world is Jesus saying? What does he mean? And in just a moment, I'll try to explain what I think he means. But 
I want us to just sit with that for just a minute of what we've just heard. Because it's too easy. Like, oh, no, let's just jump to the, oh, here's the explanation. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, good. Because that was really, really intense. Like, let's just sit with the intensity of that for just a moment, can we? And before we get into the weightiness of his words, I want you to look again at the first words I read, verse 25. Consider who it is that Jesus is speaking to, his audience. Look at report, uh, excuse me, Luke reports, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned to them, to the large crowds that were at his heels. Now you'd think he'd say this heavy-duty, can we say cultish, Type orders for those who've already drunk the Kool-Aid, right? In for a penny, in for a pound. You've already signed up. You're already in. You'll get the heavy stuff. But those seekers, we're going to soft pedal. We're going to soften it. We'll say, we'll come back. Come back next week. We'll see where this might, might lead. But not Jesus. He, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? It, it's to the crowds that are following him that he lays this message on them. He's not giving any inch to those that are seers. He's not very seeker sensitive, is he? He doesn't sugarcoat the demands of what it will cost you to follow him. Jesus is always up front. You could say he's brutally honest. I think of our missionaries that are serving and they're talking about praying for students that their hearts would be solved. Just that idea of kind of breaking through that you know, thick skin or, or that, that whatever it is, that, whatever, however the analogy works for one's heart. Students that I know, people that I interact with that are trying to find out of things that are spiritual, things that are ancient, and things that are transcendent, they want the truth. What's really real? And Jesus here is brutally honest. Why? Because he's speaking truth to people who do not want to hear it. That's why the truth needed to be spoken in in the most intense, arresting way. Did he get your attention? Did I get your attention by raising my voice? Why? Because this crowd, these people are deluding themselves. They are believing in nonsense. They're chasing after things that do not exist. They're putting their eternal lives on things that will not last. And they are making terrible life choices. This is no time to be subtle. Jesus, and by extension, his church today, does nobody any favors by withholding what's really real. Even if it's difficult, hard to understand, and incredibly unpopular. He knows how they'll react. He knows what what the reaction will be. Most of that crowd will leave and head home soon after he says these words. And some in that crowd who have great power in that community will label him as a dangerous man with a dangerous message. We've got to do something about this dangerous man and his dangerous words. Words and ideas have power. But Jesus is not afraid of the consequences. Why? Because eternal life is at stake. And so he uses this most intense language to grab hold of people's attention. 
The whole text can be summed up like this, I think, in my own words. He says, follow me and live, but you won't follow me into new life unless and until you come to terms with all the other claims upon your life. You must answer only to me. Let's get back to these three cannot statements and then the illustrations that he uses to to back up his message. Jesus is really saying, is he really saying unless you literally hate your family? I mean, I know Thanksgiving was rough for some of us, but I mean, come on. You're supposed to literally hate your family and, and carry like a big old wooden cross, totally give up all earthly possessions, and then you can be in silence. Is that what he's saying? Of course not. That would go against everything we know of who Jesus is. His grace, his love, his mercy, and his provision. And the very next passage, we have the parable of, of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the parable of the lost sons. Speaking to his grace, God's grace, he's giving us word pictures of the grace of God, the love for one another. And the fifth commandment, we're to honor our mother and father. So he can't be literally saying to hate. And Jesus alone carries the cross of salvation. Amen? No one else. Only he can do that. And there's no blanket requirement in anywhere in Scripture that says forfeit every earthly possession. None of that says is there. So what is going on here? Well, have I got your attention? I think that's what's going on here. What I think he's saying with these three cannots is that we will not follow him, really be in lockstep with his spirit unless we unlock ourselves from the claims on our lives. The cannots isn't from him, it's from you, and from you, and from me. He's not saying cannot. We're saying, nope, can't, cannot. It costs too much. Oh, how he wants you to follow him. Oh, how he wants you to follow him into the kingdom, into his father's love. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross, to bring you in, to usher you into that place, a place for everyone, a place prepared for you. But you cannot because you choose not, because you will not, because it costs you too much. He says it will cost you everything your heart values, every relationship, everything you hold near and dear. He's calling us to relinquish control and allow him to be Lord of our lives. If we allow him to be Lord, then we can be truly free. Look at verse 26. The first cannot. If anyone comes to me, doesn't hate their whole family, and even themselves, such a person cannot be my disciple. Intense words. Intense words the way it lands on us, right? Think about it in in the first century when family was everything. Every decision, major decision in your life was already sorted out by your family. What are the kind of questions that 18-year-olds think about these days? My son's going to turn 18 soon. Where am I going to college? And then where will I work? Uh, Whom will I marry? Those kinds of questions. None of those questions were asked in the first century because all of those questions were answered for you. Family was everything. But he's saying here, 
He requires your loyalty to himself to be greater than that to your family, transcendent of every relationship. Everyone that's close to you comes way off the list than compared to Jesus. No human relationship or pet relationship, because we love our pets, however loyal is greater than your loyalty to him, our commitment to him must come first. Yes, even our own lives. And we see how this can be easily misinterpreted and it has been misapplied and families have been hurt and painful interactions and coming from someone who is the only believer in my family, I can attest to a misunderstanding and misrepresentation of what does this mean, but it, it means he wants all of your attention. And I believe Jesus is calling us to more than just a relatively greater love. It's not like, oh yeah, Pete, okay, I get it. Gotta keep my priorities straight. Uh, you know, faith, family, friends, flag, and, and all the way. I'll just set the right priorities. So I think if Jesus had the shirt, it would say God and nothing else. There's nothing else on our priority list. All the other stuff falls all the way down compared to him. That's how great he wants our attention. He wants to occupy all of our attention. I love my wife. I love my mom. I love my, my mother-in-law. I really love my son. I take a bullet for him. I don't love any of them half as much as God loves them. Right? Look at the person next to you. Tell somebody you love them if you're with somebody. But God loves that person a bazillion times more than you love them. I think Jesus' words, when applied correctly, and they can definitely be misapplied, but applied correctly, I think they can also break down dysfunctions in family systems. This is the old psych major in me a little bit, but bear with me. This is what Jesus is saying. I love that Rob just took a moment, just a, a moment off script to start singing about the Father's love for us and who we are in him. I think Jesus is saying, I will now tell you who you are. Not your mom or your dad. You're not defined by your family's expectations or their labels. I alone am the source of your identity and your security. In order to come to terms with these claims in our lives, we have to face the fear of rejection. What if I don't measure up to what mom and dad want? My dad's been gone since 1999. He's been long gone. Do I do the things that I do? Do you do the things you do for someone who's long gone? Years of therapy can be avoided by applying this text. Verse 27. Whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus alone carried the cross. I think he's saying... Following him is not going to be easy. Can anyone attest to that? Just raise your hand. Following him will cost you dearly. You're going to face trials and tribulations if you follow him closely. You can follow him nominally, and when it gets hard, then you can pull back and, and let go. But if you're following him closely in this life, it will spell trouble for you. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it 
if you remain in step with his spirit. Friends, we will hit resistance and ridicule in this life, but he he says to us, he promises us, it will be worth it. And the further you go, and the further this church goes into the pain and the suffering of this world, we roll up our sleeves and we try to be peacemakers, we try to be difference makers, we try to bring some salt and light and love into this broken and dark world, the stronger we stand on Christian principles and doctrine, the more we will suffer for Christ. And I will say this, if we're unwilling to make painful sacrifices today, corporately and individually, if we're unwilling to stand for what's true and speak what we know to be of the Lord, if we don't do that today, I promise you this, it's only going to get harder to be a true believer in Jesus in America in the years to come. So we're not practicing. So practice. This is the real deal right now. This is the game. To carry your cross is to say you no longer are in charge. He is. So if I cling to, to my own plans and my own life and my own wants, I can't cling to Jesus. I can't hold on to to Jesus and hold on to all the things that I've set up in my own life. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Jesus bids a man come and follow me, he bids him come and die. To carry your cross means to not be prideful, but to be humble, to give all glory to God in in everything that comes into your life. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Resurrections only happen in cemeteries. You're willing to die to yourself. Bury it here. Let it go. Leave it behind. Let it fade. That beautiful Christmas tree will dry out if we don't water it. How many times a day? What do we think? Three or four times a day. We need to be connected to the life-giving flow of the Spirit, or else we will wither. And so then Jesus uses two parables. He says, what if you're building a building and you haven't counted the cost? That's a little bit on the nose for us, isn't it, Pastor David? Thinking about our building plans, we, are, we don't want to look silly in three or four years when we break down, right? We've got to figure this out. He talks about a king. King's got 10,000 soldiers. Yeah, what happens when you come up against 20,000? He says, unless you let go and trust fully in him as Lord of lords and King of kings, you're going to be sunk. You're going to look silly. You're going to lose. That's one of these word pictures that Jesus has. He says, the things that have claim on your life, the obligations, the responsibilities, the other priorities that weigh you down, you need, you need to let them go and carry the cross. And what does Jesus say? For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. One more, how, how much will it cost? Finally, Jesus says, verse 33, those who do not uh, give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. How much will it cost to be a true Christian? How much? Everything. Now, is he saying sell everything? No, I don't think he's saying sell everything. I think he's saying give it all to me. It's all mine. 
I'll loan it back to you for a time. But when I need it, you have to give it. And even if you're sitting here or you're watching home and you've paid off all of your debt, you own your house, your camper, your credit cards and college loans are all paid off. Jesus is saying it still holds a claim on you. It still holds a claim on you. I don't owe any money, but you owe something. You have to care for it, manage it, protect it, watch out for it. When Jesus is all you have, then you know Jesus is all you need. Have you done so? Have you looked over everything you have to Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, I went to visit my friend Tim. This is Timothy. Hi, Tim, if you're watching, from Spokane. We actually were friends back in Maryland. Tim was a, uh, a rock star student, an athlete. Uh, he was recruited to the Air Force Academy, and he uh, went to Iraq and was an intelligence officer and did a tour in Fallujah. And when he came back to America, he was not the same person. And he had lost everything. But he found Jesus. And Timothy and I became friends in Maryland, and we stayed in touch on Facebook uh, Messenger because he doesn't have a phone, and he doesn't have a permanent address. He's what they like to say nowadays in the Star Tribune, uh, housing insecure, which means homeless. He's bounced from place to place, Colorado Springs, uh, back and forth, and Wyoming. And then he started having this idea. He started messaging me about uh, I, Pete, I think the Lord's calling me to move to Alaska this coming winter. So I'll, I'll, I'll come through Seattle, say hi to you on my way to Alaska to be, home, to, to be housing insecure. Tim, don't do it. He kept moving this way and kept thinking of how could I see him, how much I wanted to see him. I was going to see him this summer during sabbatical. He said, no, 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 I don't want to impact your time. And finally... Finally, the week after, uh, uh, the day after I preached a sermon about the widow's offering, that next day before dawn, I got in the car and drove to Spokane. I got to see uh, Tim because he's come that far. Uh, Tim is living in a, uh, a rental apartment that costs $450 a week. If you pay a month in advance, it's only $400. But his VA uh, money is $450 a week. So we can do the math. He can either have a roof over his head or have food. And so we drove out and we went to a little diner that's about 80 yards from his door. He's never been able to afford to go in there. We had a wonderful breakfast. Uh, the, the owner slash uh, waitress offered him a job right there on the spot. He can come start washing dishes this weekend. We can do like this. Amazing. We had a wonderful day together. We did some things that Cheryl and I had planned to, uh, to do uh, for him. And then we called our incredible deacons and they heard his testimony on the phone sitting in the parking lot at Walmart. And our church, your deacons, you, because that's how deacons are funded, that's how Mission Fund is funded, blessed Timothy with a month's rent. Praise the Lord. We went to church together. We prayed together. And uh, this is just moments before 
I needed to head, head out. He's been watching it online and hearing about the We Are Family campaign and Commitment Sunday and plans are happening. And he wrote me a message. He said, Pete, I have a problem. I'm like, now what? What's the problem? I have a phone. I don't have a permanent address. I, I know. What's the problem? I want a tithe on my veterans check to Maple Valley Church. So what, what number do I put down? This push pay thing just won't, won't let me just give you some money. Friends, when Jesus is all you have, then you know Jesus is all you need. Then we know what it means to give all. Tim is one of the richest men I know. Verse 34 and 35, and we're wrapping it up. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. To be salty biblically means to be preservers in this decaying world. To preserve something that's good and meaningful in a place that everything seems to be falling apart. It's to be influencers for good. It's to be peacemakers in a culture of contempt. It's to be ministers of Christ, truth speakers, lovers of Jesus and our fellow man. And it's to be a peculiar people passing through this place on our way to the kingdom, leaving it better than we found it for the next generation. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I'll invite Rob and the team to come out, and I'll just end by saying this. This Christmas season is especially meaningful, I think, because we've had such a long road of it with COVID and shutdowns and now more fears. People are missing something deep and substantial and heavy. And people around us are stressed out. Is anyone here stressed out? There are people in our community, maybe even watching at home, by high school students, who've deluded themselves. They're choosing to believe things that are not true. They're choosing to follow things that are empty and truly meaningless. And only they can determine whether to be true or not, but they are making terrible life choices. You can decide for yourself. You choose to say can or cannot. How's it going for you so far? What we need is more God, more love, and more light, life. And this Advent season, preparing for Christmas, we're going to focus our attention on the night that Jesus was born in our series, O Holy Nights. We're going to meditate on how far God went to send his only son to be born in a manger, to live a perfect life we couldn't live, and to climb a hill called Calvary, pay for the sins of the world, to rescue you. Consider this hard word from Jesus today, this costly word, not as a burden, but a word of hope, a word of life, letting go. So let's do that before we sing. Let's just pray together right now. Whatever it is that you're clinging to, maybe it's old messages that you've bought into, 
or new expectations of other people in your life. Maybe it's things that you cling to that give you a sense of security, purpose, meaning in your life. What is it the Lord would have you let go of? Leave behind in the sanctuary. Your hands will be open to receive. What is it that you own that is owning you? What evidence is there of God's gracious? Even right now, if you could just pray that, that tomorrow one thing was different, that, that brought more hope and meaning, less stress, just, just a, a hint that there's something deeper and meaningful and lasting. If that one thing happened tomorrow morning when you woke up, what would it be? Lord Jesus, make this word very evident to us. Give us signs and wonders of your presence in our life this week. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.